All right, well, good morning. That was quiet. <laughs> good morning and welcome to Horizon. Thank you, that was better. Y'all get better with time. Good job. Um, well, we are so glad you're here at Horizon and happy Father's Day to the dads that are here. So we want to celebrate you, whether you're with us here in the chapel, the atrium, the tent, online. Um, what a beautiful thing it is to be a dad. Um, and we want to honor and remember our fathers too, all of us, um, whether they're here with us still or they've gone on ahead. Um, and I love the lines of that Keith Urban song that every day I hope I see a little bit more of my father and me. And those words are beautiful and, and remind me of the legacy I have as a dad, but they're also haunting, right? That for the next 70 years, my kids are going to like, man, I'm going to be coming out in them a little bit here and there. Like that's a haunting reality as a dad. Um, well, today we're going to keep looking at a, a man, a soon-to-be husband and dad named Joseph, um, who certainly understands pressure as well. That last week when we left him, at the ripe old age of 17, he had been chucked into a well by his brothers. Uh, thank you very much. Left for dead until they figured out they could make a few bucks. And then sold into slavery in Egypt. I mean, Joseph is finding out that life can be kind of brutal at an early age, right? But one of the pieces of wisdom that Chad shared with us last week that's going to ring true over this whole series... Um, is that God was using the bottom of that pit, a place Joseph certainly didn't want to be, to one day prepare him to climb mountains. That none of it was wasted. And in fact, I like to think of it like this, that, that God is a green God, okay? Um, that he was going green before it was hip and cool and the right thing to do. Um, that he likes to recycle and reuse the broken places in our lives for good. And because of that, we don't only have two choices when life is hard. We don't have to choose between sappy optimism. It's like, oh, shucks, I hope things are going to turn out for the best. Eee, you know, daisies and butterflies um, over here. And then we don't have to choose between hopeless pessimism over here. Life stinks. It never goes well for me. I'm just cursed. Right? That we can be right in the middle with what we're calling hope or uh, unshakable optimism. And what that means is that God has a plan, and though we may not see it, eventually it's going to work out and for our good. And with Joseph, we see that over and over and over in his life, this belief in unshakable optimism. And today, since it's Father's Day, we're going to get a little crazy. All right, you ready? We're going to take Joseph, a 17-year-old, put him in our Horizon time machine, and transport him 13 years into the future, okay, where he's going to be a husband and a father. Um, so those of us old enough, it was a bit like when you put in that VHS tape and you fast forward and you saw everything like moving really quickly and, you know, you get to the end of the story. Um, that's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to pick up with Joseph. He's 30 um, and we'll circle back to fill in the dots in the weeks to follow. Um, but for now, you need to know that over these 13 years, life has had its ups and downs with Joseph, okay? Um, and most recently, he has found himself once again abandoned, betrayed through no fault of his own, in a dark and sandy Egyptian prison. For years, he's left in this prison. And then as God would have it, one day the prison cell opens... <laughs> I imagine some huge guards grab him and they're dragging Joseph and he's thinking, I'm about to die. And instead they take him to the 
palace and in front of Pharaoh. Uh, because Pharaoh has a problem, right? Pharaoh has been having this recurring nightmare that he can't figure out what it means. And he's heard that Joseph can kind of interpret dreams, so he, he drags Joseph in. And Joseph's going to interpret this dream for him with God's help that Egypt is going to have seven years of amazing abundance. They won't even be able to count the grain. There's going to be so much of it. But it's going to be followed by seven years of a global famine, okay? And Joseph gives that interpretation, and then he's smart enough to say, but I could help you. <laughs> you know, you imagine him um, just offering that up there. And, and Pharaoh is, like, impressed enough by this interpretation, or maybe, maybe terrified enough by the thought of seven years of a global famine, um, that he's like, sure, you're hired. <laughs> and in an instant, Joseph is going to go from being in a dark and smelly prison cell and, and jerked off into the, one day into being the vice president of Egypt, second in command of basically the known world at that time. Like, like just imagine <laughs> that. Sometimes we read things in the Bible and we don't put ourselves into that picture. But imagine you're in a prison cell and 12 hours later you're drinking wine and eating cheese and grapes instead of like moldy bread. Like what a whiplash that had to be for Joseph, right? And in some ways it can be like, good things do come true, right? Like, it's, oh, go Joseph. Um, but I would say, well, maybe, because I think we do have to stop and appreciate that Joseph has 13 years of trauma behind him at this point. Again, he's 30, so he's got 13 years of being betrayed and abandoned. It cause a little bitterness. Um, and then in front of him now, Pharaoh is asking him, as a Jewish slave turned Egyptian prisoner turned vice president of Egypt, he's asking him to save the world in seven years, <laughs> right? Like that is what he's being tasked to do. Like save the world. That's it, Joseph. You got that, right? Um, I can't imagine Pharaoh's going to be the most patient boss or most understanding boss. So in my mind, I think Joseph feels like he's walking up to Mount Everest, okay, and that's what Everest looks like. And Pharaoh's saying, hey, Joseph, you're going to climb Everest. Um, I'm going to give you a Speedo and a box of Tic Tacs. Have at it. Right? Like, he's got to be terrified. Like, I would be terrified um, if I'm 30 years old and being asked to save the world in seven years in a foreign country. <laughs> um, and it makes me wonder, well, what kind of man is Joseph going to prove to be here? What kind of father? What kind of leader? What kind of husband? Is he going to succumb to the pain behind him, the crushing bitterness, get his revenge now that he has power? Is he going to be crushed by the weight of the Everest in front of him? Well, crazy enough, what we're going to see, friends, over the course of this series is that Joseph is not only going to save the world in 14 years, seven years and seven years. Um, through that, it's going to save his people, the Jews. And through that, he's going to save his own family family, the same brothers that betrayed him, that he's going to save them all. Well, here's my question, okay, because Joseph at the time he saves the world's 44. I'm 45. I know I look 25, but you know. Um, how does he do it? Like, how does he save the world? How does he climb the Everest in front of him? Because my mountains aren't so easy to climb, if I'm just being honest, right? Like, I can't climb them as easily as that. I mean, sure, I'm an unshakable leader, you know, unshakable husband, father. 
uh, when it's 80 degrees and the sun is shining and I got a Starbucks in my hand, you know, like I'm as unshakable as granite. Uh, but give me 30 minutes stuck in traffic. Give me a uh, health scare. Give me something going on with my kids at school. And, and I become like a bowl full of jello, okay? <laughs> like I'm not very unshakable at all. Um, so I want to know what Joseph's secret is, right? I, I think we all want to be unshakable leaders, husbands, wives, uh, mothers, daughters. Um, what's his secret? Like, sh- is, should we just like find Joseph's blog and follow it? You know, listen to his podcasts, like become Josephites? Um, well, no, because last week Chad shared that Joseph's pretty, he's got his own issues, right? He's pretty flawed. Well, here's his secret. Okay, and you got, you got to draw close. You got to listen in, all right? As Joseph faced that Everest in front of him, that massive mountain, you know, with his bathing suit and a box of Tic Tacs, um, he climbed it with a Sherpa, all right, a Sherpa. So let me take you back, okay? Some of us were alive, some of us weren't. It's 1953, and two men are about to make history, okay? They are about to be the first two people ever to climb Mount Everest, For 25 years, the Western world had been in this race to climb Everest. And they would send eight expeditions of the most experienced climbers from all over Europe. The guys who had climbed the largest mountains on their continent. Um, And every one of these eight expeditions ended tragically. Lots of people died. Um, Shouldn't laugh about that. Lots of people died. It was terrible. Um, In 1953, though, they were going to try something new. Novel idea. A man named Edmund Hillary from New Zealand was going to be paired up with a man named Tenzing Norgay. And Tenzing was a Sherpa. (laughs) The Sherpas, it's not just a guide, it's actually capital S Sherpa. They're a Tibetan ethnic group that live not at the top of Everest, but live at altitude. So their bodies are, are kind of acclimated. Well, on May 29, 1953, the two of them would climb Everest for the first time. Because when you're climbing an Everest, you've got to have a Sherpa. Since then, only 4,200 people have climbed Mount Everest. And, and you know how many have done it without a Sherpa? 1%. <laughs> About 40 people have climbed Everest without a Sherpa of those 4,200. They're invaluable. And what they do is a few weeks before the uh, expeditions arrive, the, the Sherpas begin preparing the pathways. So they climb Everest, they're nailing down ladders across ice flows, they're putting in um, grips and lines and ropes. They're doing everything they can to prepare the path. And then as the expeditions arrive for what is typically a two-month adventure, let that sink in, <laughs> um, the Sherpas do everything with them to get them from base camp to the top of the mountain. Okay, and as they start climbing, certainly the Sherpas are in front. You know, and they're like, hey, follow me, you know. Um, but there are also a bunch of Sherpas behind. And the ones behind carry all the luggage. Okay, so they have these huge backpacks. Um, again, their bodies are acclimated for that climate. Um, they do all of the work. And, and as Joseph was climbing this Everest in front of him, he had a master Sherpa, right? He had the Sherpa that made Everest. <laughs> leading him. And I want to throw this question out initially. As you climb the Everest in front of you, the professional Everest, and those mountains, like, man, it's going to be great on the top, but it's hard to get up there. Those personal Everests, those tough relationships, the medical issues. You know, what Sherpa do you turn to right now? 
Is it the Sherpa of self? Are, are we like those first eight expeditions where we're like, I'm going to climb this mountain myself. I'm good enough, strong enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? Um, well, well, maybe you're not quite getting to the top because of that. Or maybe you're turning to a celebrity Sherpa and you're like, I just do what Oprah tells me. Um, well, probably not going to get you to the top of the mountain. So today I want to propose that instead you can follow the same Sherpa that Joseph followed when he climbed his Everest. And we're going to look at three paths that can help us do that, okay? And the first one is the path of wisdom. So Joseph interprets this dream for Pharaoh, and here's what Pharaoh says. He says, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh is just blown away by Joseph's wisdom, right? He's tried to get his dream interpreted by his wise men. Um, Pharaoh was actually considered a living God in the Egyptian culture, so he couldn't even interpret his own dream. So he's just blown away by the wisdom of Joseph. Um, and, and that's why he makes him second in command over the whole kit and caboodle. And it makes me wonder, well, where does Joseph get this wisdom, right? Certainly there's a little bit of mystical, like he's able to interpret dreams. Um, that's kind of just given. He doesn't earn that anyway. Uh, but normally the way that God passes wisdom to us is a master Sherpa, a wise Sherpa. Um, there, there's two paths. So there's the Bible. So Christianity, we believe the, the Bible is God's word. So we can read that ourselves, and, and that's a way to glean wisdom from God, um, Every Sunday, there's two services before this one that we call our equipping services where Chad or Drew or somebody much smarter than me takes us like verse by verse through the Bible and explains it in kind of layman's terms. Um, so there's that. But there's also this essence of God's wisdom that is, I would say is contagious. We understand that word, don't we? <laughs> it's communicable. That we catch it by being around God. That is, we're around the Master Sherpa, we begin to just absorb some wisdom through that. And here's where I see it play out in Joseph's life. So he is tasked with saving the world. Okay, and he gets to work. It says, now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up... In every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. <laughs> so think about this. This is pretty brilliant. Okay, so Joseph, again, he's a Jewish slave in Egypt turned Jewish prisoner turned vice president. Right? Like, that's an interesting path to power. Um, I can't imagine he's very popular with the locals. Right? Like, the Egyptian... Moms and dads probably don't like Joseph initially. They don't trust him. So imagine if he comes, you know, wheeling and dealing into their cities and he starts taking the majority of their grain. He puts it on carts and sends it back to the capital city. People are going to lose their minds, right? They're going to get grumpy. They're going to like, what are they doing? They're taking our food. We can't trust the man. Um, well, what Joseph does in wisdom is he stores their grain. He does take it to prepare but he keeps it in their cities. Brilliant, right? So you see your grain being taken, but you also see that storehouse 
And you see that pile of grain growing over seven years. And then your trust in the government and Pharaoh and this new guy, Joseph, um, your trust starts to grow. Pretty wise, right? Well, that's the kind of wisdom that, that you get as you follow the master Sherpa up Everest. And I think about the ears that are listening to me now, and much smarter brains connected to those ears um, than I have. And I know there's medical professionals, you know, listening here. And every day you're making small decisions to big decisions that sometimes are life and death decisions. Don't you want connection to that type of wisdom? And many of us in here are in the business world, and every day you're making small decisions to big decisions that control the livelihood of dozens or hundreds or some of us thousands of people and whether they can put food on their tables. Don't you want connection to that kind of wisdom? And all of us, maybe you're just a schmuck like me and you're just a pastor, um, all of us are the CEOs of our own lives, right? And my small and big decisions impact my kids and my wife in life and death ways. Like, don't I need a connection to that kind of wisdom? Well, God says all you have to do is ask. And in James 1.15, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That God just says, hey, follow me, and I'm going to give you wisdom. You're going to get it. Uh, so that's our first path, is the path of wisdom. And as we follow that, it's going to lead us now to the path of perspective. Okay. So about 10 years ago, Becky and I and our three kids at the time, because we only had three then, were in Colorado in Buena Vista, all right? And it's a beautiful area of Colorado. Um, we were there serving for a month with a camp. And uh, every week, 350 new campers would come in through our doors. Um, and every week, I would get the privilege um, or struggle or nightmare uh, of trying to lead 350 kids up a mountain that was close to us that was 14,000 feet tall. <laughs> Okay, we were at about like 10,000 foot elevation. This mountain was 14,000 foot elevation, okay? So we bust all the kids over. You know, we get there. They all want to be back at camp, like drinking Slurpees, you know, going down the water slide, riding mountain bikes. And we're like, no, we're going to go climb a mountain today. It's going to be awesome, you know? And half the kids were like, yes, I've always wanted to climb a mountain. This is amazing. And half the kids were like, this sucks. I paid $500. You can't make me do this. And we're like, well, legally, no, um, but unless there's a medical issue, Johnny, I'm going to make you climb this mountain, <laughs> okay? And over the course of three hours, again, there's a team of like me and 20 other adults, um, we're like pushing 350 high school students up a 14,000-foot mountain, okay? And let me tell you, every week there was cursing involved, not by me, <laughs> but at me. Um, every week there was crying involved, there were emotional breakdowns involved where kids would lay on the side of the path for 20 minutes, you know, and you're just trying to coax them into going. Um, so every week it was like being a little bit of like a cheerleader, a coach, an emotional therapist. You're just trying to get these kids up the hill because you know if they get to the top that, that man, they're going to experience something that like most people in life can't say they've done, that they, they're looking out 14,000 feet in the air. And, and every week we got them to the top, never, never left a kid for a bear or something. Um, 
And we would get to the top, and I can say none of them ever apologized for cussing me out or telling me I'm an idiot. Uh, but what I would say is their faces apologized. Because they would get to the top and they'd be like, oh my goodness. They're like looking around at like that altitude and they can see for miles. And it's like, hey, that dot over there, that's our camp. You know, it took us 15 minutes to get here in a bus. and That's it, way over there. And, and their minds were just blown. They had this new perspective. And with Joseph, we see that, that as he begins to follow the Sherpa up the, the mountain, follow the master Sherpa up his Everest, he gains this perspective. And Chad shared this last week, um, but I want to remind you what Joseph names his boys. So Joseph is forced to marry an Egyptian bride. Um, he pretty quickly has two sons, and one of them, if you remember, he calls Manasseh, which means, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the other he calls Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And both of these names don't sugarcoat the pain, right? He's still mentioning like, hey, that kind of stunk those 13 years. Um, but both of those names certainly point to a green God who has recycled and reused the broken places of Joseph's, Joseph's life to bring about good. I think of all the things he could have named his kids. <laughs> It could have been like, hey, you're abandoned and broken. Uh, I need you to do the dishes. Abandoned and broken. Go do the dishes, you know. Um, betrayed and neglected. Like, I need the garbage out now. You know, he could have called them that. Perfectly normal names if you've been through what Joseph's been through. But instead, he trusts in this, this idea of a, of a green God. And the Bible says it this way in Romans. It says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And, and that's a risky verse to throw out there because it gets overused a lot. Um, but what I want you to see in there is that it doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. Because there's no way to call being thrown in a pit good if you're Joseph, right? There's no way to call being sold into slavery in Egypt good. There's no way to call being thrown in prison for something you didn't do good. In our lives, there's no way to call a bankruptcy good. There's no way to call going through a divorce good. There's no way to call a cancer diagnosis good. But what God's saying is, hey, I can take those and use them for good in your life if you'll let me. Friends, if we'll let the Master Sherpa help us as we climb at our Everest and we get elevation and we can see our lives with perspective, we'll begin to see his fingerprints all over them. Right? That's the promise. And what Joseph's trying to do here by naming his kids, what he names them, is he's trying to pass along a different story other than his brokenness. And I want to ask us this question. What story are you passing along right now to your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, your people at work? Like, are, are you the broken record that's always like, well, let me tell you for the 25th time about that guy, Bill. Sorry, Bill. Um, about that guy, Bob. Uh, Bill's my father-in-law, so I'll go with a different name. Um, about that guy, Bob, who totally, you know, did me over 30 years ago cut me out of that deal. If it wasn't for Bob, I would be a kajillionaire by now. 
Let me tell you for the 25th time, you know. Or you're the broken record that's like, well, kids, let me tell you, when I grew up, it was hard. We had to walk to school both ways, uphill, in the snow, backwards, carrying bowling balls. You guys don't know how good you have it, you know. Or is it those stinking Republicans or those terrible Democrats? Ah! And you just pass along your pain, pass along your story. An American author named Richard Rohr has a quote that I love on this. He says, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Whew, that's kind of haunting. <laughs> that that if, if we won't follow the master Sherpa up the Everest in front of us, if we won't find a green God that can help us recycle and reuse our brokenness and our pain to see good come out of it, if we don't transform it, then we just transmit it. We're like this radio tower just transmitting pain to the people around us. And that's not the legacy I want to leave. I don't know about you. And Joseph didn't want to leave that legacy. But the choice is ours. Instead, we can transmit hope, unshakable optimism to our kids and grandkids. And as we follow those two first paths of wisdom and perspective, Eventually, it leads us to the path of influence, okay? And i uh, tell you a cute story here. So seven years ago, I come down my steps, you know, and I'm looking for my gym shoes. We have four kids, so shoes are everywhere. Because um, I want to go on a run to Dunkin' Donuts. And uh, <laughs> truth be told, <laughs> um, and eventually I find my shoe, okay, and it looks like this. And maybe it's tough to tell possibly, but inside of my size 11 shoe was my son Jack's tiny little four-year-old shoe. And I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but it still struck me that like, oh my goodness, is this a visual for what I do as a dad and the legacy that I'm leaving that one day Jack is going to walk in many of the very same footsteps that I do. Again, that, that sunk in on me immediately. Um, and, and dads, there's no way to overestimate your impact on the lives of your kids. It, it's like trying to overestimate how many grains of sand there are on earth. Like your impact is, is massive. In a Department of Education study, children who grow up with involved fathers, listen to these six stats. Involved fathers, they're 39% more likely to earn all A's in school, they're 45% less likely to repeat a grade, they're 60% less likely to be suspended or expelled from school, they're twice as likely to go to college, 75% less likely to have a teen birth, and 80% less likely to spend time in jail. That there is no way to overestimate your influence can't be done. It's vital. You're a Sherpa in your kids' lives whether you like it or not. So you can either help them climb mountains or you can keep them at base camp. It's up to you. And Joseph gets this idea of influence, that as the seven years of abundance come to an end, we're going to pick up here, it says, then the seven years of plenty, which were in Egypt, ended. <laughs> Party's over. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. 
So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, I want you to do. So here's the question, like how does Joseph, again, a Jewish slave in a foreign land, turned a prisoner, turned vice president, how does he have so much influence in the life of Pharaoh And this is seven years after the party trick of interpreting the dreams. So he's had seven years to mess this up. And still Pharaoh is saying, hey, guys, go to Joseph. The world's falling down around us. People in Egypt are saying, hey, where's all that bread you took from us? And he's saying, hey, go to Egypt. Or I'm sorry, go to Joseph. He's the one. He knows what to do. Well, how? Well, as Joseph followed the master Sherpa, he gained wisdom on the path of wisdom. As he followed the master Sherpa, he gained perspective. And as he followed the master Sherpa, eventually he gained influence. Okay, because people want to follow wise people. People want to follow people with perspective. And, And that gives you influence. And it all comes by following the master Sherpa. Um, In the Gospels, which is the account of Jesus' life, 13 times he says those words to someone, follow me. And normally it would sound like this. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So that's the master Sherpa. It's, it's Jesus. He's saying, hey, follow me. And here's the really cool thing about this Joseph story is that Joseph is a precursor, a uh, shadow, a, you know, coming attractions for Jesus. That Joseph is betrayed, Jesus is betrayed. Joseph is left in a pit for dead. Jesus is left in a pit actually dead. (laughs) Um, Joseph rises to one day save the world. Jesus rises from the dead to one day save the world. That that as we face down the the Everests in front of us that are, they're formidable, right? Like, let's call it what it is. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat the hardness of life. But as we face those down... Um, we can attack them with the help of our Sherpa. And dads, as we end here to speak to you, um, I know that that's hard. I got four kids, man, and there's times where, like, I want to crawl up in a ball and cry, (laughs) or I want to jump in a car and just start driving somewhere, you know. I'll send an email. Um, It's hard. It feels like a blizzard hits, and that blizzard's mixed with a tornado and a hurricane at the same time, and you're like, no! And you want to stop and stay at base camp and just drink hot chocolate, you know. Um, but you got to keep climbing, okay? It's worth it. Getting to the summit is worth it. Okay, there's times where you start climbing and you make it from one camp to the other. And you're like, I'm almost at the summit. And then you get there and you're like, I can't even see the summit. That was a false summit. And you want to quit. But you can't. You got to keep climbing, okay? It's worth it. Hear this. People are depending on you. <laughs> keep climbing. Don't back down. All right, dads, that's my final word of advice for us is as we face the Everest in front of us, don't back down. We hope that you'll come back next week as we continue our Unshakable series and have a, a wonderful Father's Day to all the fathers with us today, online, outside, and inside in the chapel. We'll see you next week. Have a great afternoon.